Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus in Chicago. Today, we talk about KitchenAid and their terrific 30-minute uh, documentary that was part of an initiative called A Woman's Place. It's been a uh, Jay Shiat Award and Gold Effie Award winner uh, this past year. And it deals with uh, the issue of inequality and sexism in professional kitchens. And for those of you who may have worked in restaurants in your past or maybe still are, um, you know that the uh, the culture inside the restaurant kitchens and restaurants overall can be pretty uh, destructive on many levels. And certainly when we look back over the last few years and we look at the Me Too movement and we look at the Time's Up movement with chefs like Mario Batali and others, you begin to understand that there was uh, something that needed to be addressed and fixed. And I think they continue to try and do that in many restaurants around the country. So the idea of this of this film came from what KitchenAid describes as its brand purpose. I think of it more as a terrific brand platform because I'm a little skeptical of brand purposes. It's kind of been overused way too much. But the platform is to create possibility in the kitchen. And I think what this is a great example of is being able to look at a platform like that and then see how that platform can be applied in product marketing and in corporate marketing, as is sort of the case here. And um, this conversation is about how the brand, through the lens of the new platform, used observations from chefs in professional kitchens to make connections with cooks in home kitchens. And what's also wonderful about this is the fact that they, uh, they take this sort of an old school adage from the 1950s, which was a woman's place is in the home, and the agency tweaked it and sort of flipped it to great effect. The road to the assignment is a little different. This kind of came from the client in a unique kind of a way. Those sorts of asks don't always work out well, but this one certainly did. So uh, as always, you can see the full creative work on our website on strategyshowcase.com. We'll post the uh, 30-minute documentary there. Uh, as I mentioned, this is a Gold Effie and Jay Shiat award-winning case. It's a KitchenAid with Stephanie Kelly, VP, Group Director, Creative Strategy at Digitas in Chicago. Enjoy. KitchenAid is part of a much larger portfolio of brands. Can you give us a sense of, of what the scale of it is like? Yeah. So, you know, everyone probably knows it best for the stand mixer. That's the most iconic product. And a lot, of people, right. that, a lot of people think that it stops there. Um, but actually, KitchenAid makes everything for the kitchen from large appliances like refrigerators and ranges to uh, countertop appliances like blenders and coffee makers and, um, of course, the stand mixer. Um, and then they also make all the accessories you need to, to bake and cook as well. So baking sheets, knives, muffin tins, bowls, all sorts of, of good stuff. So they can truly outfit uh, any kitchen from top to bottom. So where does it, where is it, is it, is it sitting in the Whirlpool portfolio or is it the other way around? It is. Yeah. So Whirlpool Corp um, is the parent company of KitchenAid, um, along with Whirlpool, Maytag, uh, Genair, um, and Amana. Those are kind of like the North American brands within the Whirlpool Corporation. Um, and KitchenAid is, yeah, one of them. And so when you when you look at KitchenAid and you have that portfolio that you have to position within, is it is it um is it sometimes a struggle where you want to sort of step into others te other territories within within a uh, a space where brands can be positioned? Are you are are you or do you feel that you have a very independent place in that portfolio that's very clear, distinctive? Well, it's interesting because uh, the company has done a lot of work on segmentation 
and making sure that each of the brands can own a unique part of the category and kind of stand for something uh, distinctive between between all of them. So KitchenAid sits at um, what we call the premium tier. So not quite luxury appliances, not quite mass appliances. I don't typically associate KitchenAid with being a part of a commercial kitchen or a professional kitchen. Is there a product offering for that? So yes, uh, there are some of the countertop appliances that are available in a commercial version. Um, but you know, mostly it's it's known for being the 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 tool of the home cook or the home chef. Going back to 1919, I believe when the brand started, um, it has always uh, been rooted in, uh, in 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 sort of um, advocating for women. It's always been uh, very committed to uh, to equality. I would say maybe not so so overtly early on. My understanding is that it had an all-women sales force selling the product door-to-door. Yes, it did. So that was originally how it gained you know, popularity and traction in the early days. I believe that was in the 30s. Um, and the all-female sales force lugged the, the product door-to-door and um, you know, sold the mixer to other, other women who were in the home and, and um, who could potentially use that in their kitchens. So when you when we talk about the brand purpose to create possibility in the kitchen, is that something that you were a part of framing, Stephanie, or was that something that was originally in place? No, I was a part of framing it. Yeah, we did uh, several years ago. We did a whole brand purpose exercise with the workshop and um, a, a, like a cultural analysis and um, and qualitative ethnographies, and um, this was you know, one of the things that came out of it. And I would, I would say that um, although it was recently sort of identified or revealed, I don't think that, you know, we just sort of created this, um, this purpose out of thin air. I think that as you look back to the history of the brand, this has always been um, a a connective thread through um, the different milestones that, that the brand has gone through throughout the years. I think back in in 2018, there was a KitchenAid global campaign. Um, Was that built off of the brand purpose or was it something else? So that was built off of, in part, the brand purpose, um, but our brand strategy is a made for makers. And so we wanted to position the brand as as the one major appliance and small appliance brand that is uniquely crafted for the super passionate cooks and bakers out there, or as we call them, the makers. Well-worn knives, well-kept. Always the freshest one picked. These are the marks of a maker. Dough-covered hands and handles made for them. Saved stocks for homemade stocks. These are the marks of a maker. When we look at what was done in 2018, um, were you dealing with the same brand challenge back then as you felt you were as you sort of entered into uh, the uh, well, Woman's Place campaign? Had things shifted or were they sort of the challenges similar? So the challenge was similar, but we were answering a different objective. So the challenge all along um, throughout the time that we've worked on the brand has been 
getting people to think of KitchenAid beyond just the stand mixer and ultimately getting getting people to love the brand, not just our most iconic product. Um, so that that remains our ultimate challenge and focus for the brand. Um, but with the Woman's Place initiative, our objective with that was really to do something culturally relevant that would allow us to connect with the up-and-coming generations. With some research that we did a couple of years ago, we found that despite our new campaign and some of the new efforts to reposition the brand, it was still seen as a little bit um, outdated and old-fashioned. It was still seen as like sort of like your grandmother's brand and and like meat and potatoes, sort of not the not the modern uh, look and feel we were we were aiming for. And so, um, a woman's place was really designed to connect with that next generation and to infuse a bit of modernity into the brand. After the 2018 campaign, um, you you guys obviously at some point there's a briefing or a discussion with the client. What's the client ask? Yeah, so actually it was um, our our clients a couple of years ago went to the Sundance Film Festival, and they were a part of or they attended the brand storytelling uh, symposium at at uh, Sundance and came home incredibly inspired to create something of our own worthy of that audience and of that venue. Um, And so what they did was actually Whirlpool Corp um, issued a a brief to everyone saying, we want to tell an amazing story that is, you know, that's worthy of Sundance. And um, all the teams sort of competed against each other. KitchenAid had, um, or the KitchenAid team had, had presented the idea behind a woman's place. It wasn't, you know, called that yet. It was still in concept form, but, um, we, we won. Um, and so we got the funding to, to go ahead and make it. And in a full circle moment, um, we're actually being invited to go to Sundance in 2022. We're being featured in the brand storytelling event at Sundance next year. I love it. How did, how did planning approach uh, developing a strategic direction? Yeah, so it was really interesting because as we started to dig into this, we realized that there were actually other either initiatives from from not appliance brands, but other brands out there or organizations to advocate for equality in professional kitchens. Um, And there was also another documentary film that, um, that, that started to dimensionalize the issue. So a lot of our strategic work at the beginning was finding our unique white space in, in the area so that we could say something new and different that's that no one said before. But so had you, but, but, but you had you, I mean, how did you even get to think about the commercial space as being the space that you could tell stories? And was that part of the initial brief or briefing from the client or was that your thinking? No, that team. was our, yeah, that was our thinking. So when we, when we started with the brand purpose of um, creating possibility in the kitchen, we literally just started there and said, okay, what are the spaces in this world where there isn't a whole lot of possibility in like that's related to our, our world of, of the kitchen. Interesting. Um, and we came up with a couple different ideas for that. But one of the ideas that, that got people really excited was the professional culinary space, especially given 
the recent like Me Too and Time's Up um, sort of wave that happened a couple of years ago. That's right. It was, it was an interesting moment when we looked at what was going on that despite all of that, um, there was still a lot of inequities that were happening in the professional culinary space. And so we that 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 originally sparked our interest and we started digging into well, why? Like what's going on here, even after um, you know, Me Too and Time's Up went into the mainstream, why is it still happening? Um, and that's where we found the evidence of the like decades-old biases and sort of sexist beliefs that are fueling the culinary industry and, and holding women back. And what's really interesting in what you've written about this uh, and, and struck me is that in the in the home kitchen, men are cooking as well as women, couples are cooking together, but that has not happened in the commercial kitchen, right? No, it hasn't. And, you know, that was actually um, the, like one of the things that actually inspired our strategic direction was, you know, the, the kitchen used to be a place where women were, were told to get back to or stay in the kitchen as a place uh, or as a way of, of trying to, you know, hold them back or put them in their place. And now that professional kitchens were a place that women and men actually wanted to be in because of like the rock star status of chefs and sort of the, the burgeoning restaurant industry, um, all of a sudden women were no longer welcome in the kitchen. So we saw, we, we found that to be a really interesting tension. Um, and that was actually, that became the, um, the the strategic jumping off point for all of the work that we did, which is um, essentially why we ended up with A Woman's Place as the title. We wanted to say something that that addressed that issue head on. So it's interesting because you, you mentioned the idea that they almost, that, that your target audience glorified um, the the institutions that are restaurants and the individuals who are chefs, but they didn't know or weren't aware from your research what was actually going on in terms of issues of sexism and, and inequality, right? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of them, there wasn't a whole lot of awareness around this idea of culinary inequality. Even though um, this was happening at the time during the whole Mario Batali scandal, lots of celeb- celebrity and popular chefs, well-recognized chefs, were being yes. called uh, for their behaviors. Yes. And I think, you know, that's interesting because it's it's kind of two sides of the same coin because like the Mario Batali's and all the other chefs that were that were called out for uh, kind of the Me Too and Time's Up type of behavior. Um, those are more overt acts of, yeah. of sexism. That's and, harassment. Or that's you know, sexual yeah, harassment. harassment and 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 um, and in some cases um, worse than that. But what what we were shining a light on is kind of the more subtle and nuanced um, beliefs that shape the dynamics of restaurants and um, you know career structures for women. So it might not be as clear and obvious as some of the, some of the examples that made it into the headlines. Um, but it was, you know, just as damaging, maybe even more so in terms of the career trajectory of these women. That's really interesting. So there, there is a distinction. I think I, what I hear you saying, there is a distinction between sex between sexism inequality and sexual harassment or worse yes um and th- so you were you were 
dealing with more of the issues that were systemic across the entire industry, because it's like sexism and inequality for anybody who's ever worked in a restaurant, let alone in a restaurant kitchen. It is it is a part of everyday life. And I don't, know, I don't know if it is today as much as it was before, but it's a reality. It, absolutely. Yes. I, I worked in restaurants um, in my teens and 20s, and it was absolutely a part of yeah, um, the day-to-day. And I, I believe it still is. Um, and yeah, so we were trying to bring some awareness to some of the, the more, I, I guess, like invisible um, or less visible, the systemic ways that pe- that women were being held back. So let's let's talk about the adage that that you guys from a uh, strategy point of view and an idea perspective you took an a uh, an age old adage um and you flipped it. Tell us about where that came from and what is it that you flipped? Yeah, so as we were doing all of this research and um kind of digging into the issue we kind of had this moment where we realized like, you know, the all throughout history, especially in, you know, the, the fifties, um, women were told to get back in the kitchen or, you know, they were told, well, a woman's place is not in the, you know, in the office, it's in the kitchen, um, as a way of sort of holding, holding them back and, and keeping them in their place. And so we thought that that was so interesting because, we were now facing women who wanted to be in the kitchen. Our strategy was actually to just flip that adage, um, a woman's place is in the kitchen, on its head in order to empower women to reclaim their rightful place in professional kitchens. And, and what's interesting about this, and I'm really curious about what motivated it, it's very light touch on branding. Yes. Tell us about the why that is, because... You know, many of us who deal with clients would struggle with getting a client to be that willing to be soft touch when the when the probably instinctive reaction is, where's our logo, where's our mention, et cetera. How did you deal with that? How, how did that become that situation? Yeah. So first of all, I, I think we had, you know, very brave clients that were willing to take a risk on this. And, and when we said... Hey, in order to make this as authentic and real as possible and to tell a powerful story, we can't have, you know, our logo splashed all over this. We really want to, we really want to let this story shine through and then make sure that on the back end, the brand is getting the credit and the brand's getting the proper attribution. Um, and, and our clients were willing to, to go along with that, which was, which was really phenomenal. Um, because in the end, we actually saw uh, some lifts in consideration and some lifts in understanding um, what the KitchenAid brand stood for in terms of our purpose. So ultimately, we moved the metrics that we wanted to move for the brand without kind of hitting the consumer over the head with it. I assume in, in other channels or other tactics, you were um, having a, 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 more, a more, more heavily branded uh, content either through, either through sort of clips or what you were doing in social. Is that fair to say that in other environments there was more of a heavier brand association or not? Oh yes, yes, it absolutely is. So all of our all of the promotional materials that went along with this had, um, I don't know if I'd say heavy branding, but it was, you know, well branded and right. um, and and that was designed that way so that we could keep the film 
in its like purest form. Tell us about the film. Describe what it is, and then we'll we'll drop uh, some audio in to uh, to get people familiar with it. But we'll also put the entire film up on our our website. But can you explain what the the film is and what its purpose is? Yeah. So the film is a uh, it's about a thirty minute documentary that follows three up and coming female chefs um, as they navigate through their, like a pivotal moment in their career. I would describe working in kitchens with my experience as being more like a pirate ship. It's like there aren't any rules. There's a lot of tension, there's a lot of conflict. It's just, it's more rough in the back. At the very beginning, I was the only girl in the kitchen. Like they didn't teach that in culinary school. Well, you can imagine the culture shock, people with foul mouths and like kicking chairs over and things like that. If you can make hot food, it goes out on time, it's plated perfectly, like everybody kind of looks the other way. I'd been so fed up with how much I'd had to deal with in restaurants that I was just done. I had enough. Speed comes with practice. The more you practice, the faster you become. My next step is to open a restaurant. It's always a miracle to take us like vision and to pay for it all. I got the sense that everybody was trying to scare me away from doing it. And all that did was push me to want it more. To, uh, to do what she's done, to sacrifice what she's left behind, brilliant. They're like, you're the boss. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I am, aren't I? Cheers to that. Tell me about the partnership with Hulu. How did that get started and what was the nature of the relationship? Yeah. So um, after COVID started, we went through a series of pivots in our initial launch plan. We had originally planned to launch at a film festival, um, at the Tribeca Film Festival specifically. And so we were going to have a big in-person launch event premiere um, and uh, and kind of go from there and, and build off of a lot of the earned media that this would have gotten us. Um, but when COVID came along, we had to figure out a way of reaching the scale and the audience, but doing it digitally. So we worked with uh, Hulu um, and they actually acquired the film um, and launched it as part of their uh, Women's Equality Day um, hmm. programming. With that, you you would have had that exposure on the Hulu platform. What about um, what about the rest of the campaign? How did it roll out, and were there any particular aspects of it in the comm strategy that are worth uh, noting? Yeah, so there um, so there were kind of like two main parts. The first part was the documentary film, which um, we drove to via social um, with a, a partnership um, with Vox Media. Um, and their eater platform, um, and uh, through uh, the the partnership with Hulu, clearly, uh, and then we also had a, a whole other activation as part of this that was more geared towards the culinary insiders, and it was a partnership with the James Beard Foundation, and that was designed to um, it was a it was a bespoke mentorship program that we created with the James Beard Foundation. Um, aimed at at helping um, women who are up and coming in the industry find a mentor who has kind of already been there, done that, and to help them 
navigate through the uncharted waters that, um, that, that they're currently dealing with. And so that became a really interesting uh, opportunity with, with COVID because all of a sudden the, the restaurant industry was in crisis. And, you know, so many people were reaching out for, for guidance and for help. And so it not only became um, kind of career mentorship, but also, oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I keep my, my restaurant afloat in the middle of, of this, you know, global pandemic? And so for you guys, was once, once Hulu bought and acquired the film, did you still have the rights to sort of do some edits on some of that footage that you could use in your own paid media efforts? Or was it all about pushing to Hulu as a platform, as a call to action off of everything you did? Um, so the Hulu, um, the, the Hulu exclusivity only lasted for a couple of months. Um, and so for, I believe it was for maybe the first three months of the program, maybe less, we drove exclusively to Hulu, um, and, and had all of our CTAs going to that one place. Um, but then after that it opened up. And so now it's actually available on Hulu and YouTube. Um, and so you, so anyone can watch it, whether they're a Hulu subscriber or not. Um, and, and with that, we kind of did almost like a, a, a relaunch or a mini, a mini launch when it was now available to the rest of the world. What were the KPIs that you were tracking against the business and against the brand for this particular project? Cause it, when it comes, it's sometimes it's a little more, you know, it's a little, not very clear sometimes when projects come from the place that it came from for you guys. Yeah. Um, so that's a great question. So we had kind of three main KPIs that we focused on. Um, the first one was generating more consideration for the brand at large. So like, can we get more people who are not currently considering, considering KitchenAid to now consider us? So that was, that was the first one kind of overall. Uh, the second one was we wanted to drive awareness of this specific issue. So, um, uh, like it, issue awareness around the, the inequality in the culinary space. Uh, and then the third was um, signups for the mentorship program with the James Beard Foundation. Um, and kind of those three things were um, were like the three pillars of, of this campaign in terms of what we were measuring um, and what we were tracking all along. We couldn't track views of the... Um, of the documentary, uh, because that's, uh, that wasn't data that Hulu was, was sharing. Right. Um, so that, that was one of probably the most obvious, um, metrics that we wanted to track, but we, we couldn't really do it. It's Stephanie Kelly, VP group director of creative strategy at Digitas in Chicago. Thank you, Stephanie. And congratulations on the work. Well done. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. And we'll see everybody on the next episode.